And was your court at the trial of Visser constituted in any way like this? What rule did you shoot him under? Like this? Oh, no, sir, no, it wasn't quite like this. No, 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 sir, it wasn't quite so handsome. And as for rules, we didn't carry military manuals around with us. We were out on the veldt fighting the boar the way he fought us. I'll tell you what rule we applied, sir. We applied rule 303. We caught them and we shot them under rule 303. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? I'm feeling Friday good. How are you, Ryan? Oh, I feel like 10 years of my life have been lifted off of my shoulders. I had some very good news today. I haven't even broken this to you before we No, you haven't. You're saying a lot of words. (laughs) I found out that Star Trek Discovery is finally ending. So my life is ten times better now. I was actually <laughs> the fifth season is the final season. I just this has nothing to do with what we're going to be doing today. But I just I needed to share that Lit- joy. Literally with you. four and so a half. Much joy. Literally four and a half hours ago, I was talking to someone who was bitching at me about how much he hates Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> well, you could share the good news with them. I guess it's I can. going to be over now. <laughs> and the final seasons, one of the lead characters is played by acclaimed director David Cronenberg, and he has a mission. This is true. The trailer is, he's found an ancient Rubik's Cube. This is true. Mm-hmm. And he needs discovery to solve it or the universe will end. And he's going to use a dangerous method. <sighs> I wonder why they're ending the show. But either way, we have our own show where we talk about movies. We're spit and polish and we present to you our podcast. We're spitting because we're, we're just such handsome young gentlemen who have such articulate phrases in the Polish language, no less. Bartek... We are both uh, of Polish descent, and I just want to know, is there any um, any particular, say, Polish colloquialism that you like or are you uh, familiar with in any way, shape, or form? Any Polish colloquialisms, any kind of slang or anything of that nature at all? I know that you're not the most versed, but anything? It's too racist to say. <laughs> you only know the racist terms. Wow. <laughs> Are you saying Poland and racism go hand in hand? I'm, I, Gee, always I, wa- it, I wonder why. <laughs> I always thought it was Poland and misogyny. <laughs> By the way, we're in the top 10 Polish podcasts, so we're allowed to say this. That's yeah, a fact. Okay. But uh, Bartek, we're talking about movies. We, we recommend a movie. There's a cycle. You recommend a movie. That's and right. I recommend a movie. And then the listening people, that's right, you people listening right now, you can recommend a movie. We do it on the podcast. This is our little movie club. We we get together each week and see what weirdo pick somebody gave us. What do you mean by you people? You, you Oh, is that a Polish thing? I can't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you, you, nom- said, you said you people to the you, listening people. You, 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 you freaks out there. Ryan's pointing but at the glass of water. I'm pointing at the glass of water on Bartek's table because you're like water to me. I can't get enough. But we Aww. are not alone. We have brought in some guests, some people that uh, we've had interactions with on social media for a very long time. We've we've circled around these guys saying, like, oh, maybe one day we'll get on each other's podcasts. And then nobody, nobody did anything. Like, they didn't do anything, nor did we. And then one day, just like Edward Woodward, I, I, I demanded the trigger be pulled. And we have got some of the film busters on here. We have our good friends Ben and Paul from the Film Busters podcast. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, delighted to be here. Absolutely delighted to be here. I've got to say, that was the strangest experience because 
I didn't know if we were supposed to stay quiet while you were talking. I didn't want to appear rude and say something if we weren't supposed to say anything yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> how... the surprise. We were just how... sitting on our hands here. <laughs> how British. They didn't know whether to talk <laughs> or not. If she we were waiting for the line. They stayed silent. I'm relieved How that nice. you didn't. I would have screamed if you did. Bartek would have really got I, upset. I, yeah, I, I can't help it. It's, he can't know. He can't help himself I, get angry. Yeah. I thought of a funny line before, but Ryan kept talking, so I couldn't say it. But please, introduce yourselves. Let everybody know who's who and what you guys do on your podcast. After you, Ben. No, come on, Mr. Host. Okay, my name is Paul, <laughs> and I'm from Film Busters, and I'm from the United Kingdom. Hello. Oh. <laughs> The United Kingdom. Whoa. The United Kingdom. Oh, very controversial words. I, I'm from England, so and I'm Ben, <laughs> and I'm the the rough around the edges version of Paul. You have a Apparently third host. Filmbusters. You have a third host who can join us. Adam is he from Britain by any chance? Just to even it out for you guys, you have you have all three of them covered for you. He is he is from another planet. Adam is he's he's he from a, a very dry. Arid, cold-blooded, where cold-blooded, leathery skin, doesn't understand human emotions. Can he's very lucky. No, he's Balances Welsh. out the podcast well. <laughs> he's Welsh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have any Welsh listeners that that will offend. If we do, apologies. But we do. We have a big Welsh oh listenership. They love our funny last names. They go, oh, their last names are funny like our townships. They're very funny. We, they have a good giggle. They say, Slowinski, that is three eyes. That's a short amount of letters. Oh, man. Giggle, giggle. But film busters, what do you guys do? Do you bust the films? Are they haunting you? They are. Some of them haunt us terribly. Oh, absolutely. We, we, did, we did Cats last year. That very much haunted us. <laughs> yeah. That, Meg, Tomb Raider, Hot Ticket to Hawaii. We've done all the, the absolute classics. Um, but our, our, our new shtick over the last year or so has been doing films by rounds. So we like pick a year and then each of us picks a, a film from that year to cover. And we're currently doing 1951, courtesy of uh, our mutual friend Julio. Um, and that's quite an experience because we don't normally do older films, so it's been a bit of a uh, interesting time for us, eh? Nice to be thrown back, for sure. Any ones in particular you guys have been chewing through lately? Well, my streetcar, my that streetcar named Desire. Oh, yes. we covered oh, that. Yeah. We covered that on the podcast. Not the Alec Baldwin edition of the film, the superior version, but uh, yes, with, with we John talked Goodman. about this on our episode. You know that you, we you, did. and Julio were talking about Alec Baldwin. I was not aware that he ever played Kowalski. Yeah, there's a film version, and John Goodman's in it as well. And um, I want to say Jessica Lang is uh, is in it as well. Yeah, it's 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 actually pretty decent. I mean, it's not. I mean, I joke. It's not the original, but it is pretty decent. And uh, <laughs> yeah, John John Goodman is fantastic as always in it. But yeah, yeah, that Who's exists. Goodman? He's he, he, John Goodman must play Mitch. Yeah, of course, of course he does. Yeah, and ah, um, oh, right, yeah. Your 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 favorite king, John Goodman, King Ralph. Um, he was the king yes. of England one time. Remember that? That was the uh, thing that happened. Your historical knowledge is far better than ours. We can say that off the bat now. Fair enough. <laughs> I think we can. Fair enough. I'm I think we definitely I, can. I get, but you guys are covering films. You're going in those those brackets. I love that. I, you know, I've always thought about if we we every now and then do like a themed month. We did a month where we did nothing but dog movies. Uh, it used to be every February. Was yeah, a we theme. we oh, did a fun. month. We do a spooky month. I, I do like having those themed things, but um, yeah. 
We are here to talk about a movie that I recommended for our discussion today. And for everyone out there, we are going through Breaker Morant from 1980. A uh, true story, a um, war film, a legal drama as well. If you have not seen it for yourselves, I highly recommend you go through it. It is available at places. Uh, as of today, at a quick look, somebody uploaded it to YouTube. Um, but if you can find a better way of uh, watching it, do so on Australia. It's on Netflix. I don't know where in the the mighty UK this was found, but um, I'm sure it's YouTube, available. I think, for us too, right? Oh, is, is that how yeah, you watched YouTube. it, Paul? And yeah, it was good quality. YouTube, yeah. It was yeah. good quality rendering. Proper quality. But uh, it is available. Uh, Bartek, if you could just give a, a quick rundown for those who, who, who need a little bit more of a convincing what, to watch Break Morant, how would you, how would you summarize this? How would you, what's the, what's the pitch? Uh, three naughty boys uh, killed a couple of uh, possibly nicer boys and a <laughs> German and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh yes that nasty no, no, okay that's so the three soldiers who are fighting in the has it pronounced boar boar yeah, war, war. Boar war in 1990 or 1901 uh, <laughs> you're struggling 1901 <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> they they executed three uh, Boer soldiers uh, and a German missionary um, under what they assumed, or we think they assumed, were uh, orders that they don't have to uh, hold prisoners. Yeah. Um, and they are being uh, put on trial for war crimes, uh, and they are defending themselves with the help of a Australian lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're having to go up against a British tribunal who are holding them to certain political and societal standards. Yeah, and the 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 point of the film is kind of the hypocrisy on both sides, um, but also, yeah, this kind of interesting battle of wits is happening. A great way to sum it up as well is... Um, have you ever heard of the Nuremberg defense? It is the, oh, I was just mm-hmm. following orders. Mm. It's the Nuremberg defense, but way, way before, and instead of being judged by the victims, it's being judged by your peers, by your own higher-ups. That's that's mm. the rather interesting wrinkle of Breaker Morant. It yeah. is not uh, the same as the Nuremberg defense in terms of like the Jews and other people are gathering these uh, these uh, soldiers and trying them for their war crimes. It is the, the their own people. It is yeah. It's, it is the British and also the Australian in part as well. It's so an interesting. That's, that, that's a way of just snagging you in there. It's an interesting twist on what you have in like the more modern day times where it's like oh the the people who are in the same faction as you will have your back like kind of. You know, not to get too topical, but like the the brothers in blue, something mm. like that. This is kind of like a twist on that, where it's, oh no, the people on your side are specifically, you know, putting you on trial in the middle of the war. So, film busters, do you guys have any uh, familiarity or history with this film and/or the events told within it? I have no uh, knowledge of the war at all. I don't know about the actual situation between the. Um, the case against them as well. So it is all very fresh to me. Never, I'd never even heard of Break Morant, the actual film as well. So it was all very exciting to go into this. Likewise, when Paul told me the name of the film, 
that you had suggested. I had no idea. I, I didn't know what break my rent was. Didn't know that it referred to a person. So it was all completely new to me. And when we're talking in this episode, it's going to be interesting to know how how pre-informed you guys were before watching this to see how that influenced how you felt about what was going on. Because I had no idea. All of it was very fresh all the way through. Very new. And I, I knew broadly speaking about the, the boardwalk, but not too much. Not too much. Hmm. Bartek, how about you? Uh, very little familiarity with the Boer War as well. Um, I'd heard the title before, and I didn't know much about it, but I assumed, just because of Australian culture, that the title referred to a person, and the first part of the name is kind of their, like, outdoorsy profession. It just felt like a very old Australian kind of thing. We love a nickname. We love a good yeah. nickname. Interesting. Waltzing Matilda. Interesting. So when I heard Breaker Morant, I'm like, oh, I bet it's like horse breaking or something, and it was, mm. and I was right. <laughs> yes, we love our rough and tumble heroes and figures, and we like to le- make legends out of notorious figures, uh, iconically Ned Kelly, who was one of the first people ever made a film about in film history was Ned Kelly. Is that so? Yes, one of the first... Uh, Feature films was about Ned Kelly, like back back in the day. Australia was one of the pioneers of cinema as well. People forget that, but yeah, we we did was... some stuff with cameras and lenses. But for 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 you, Bartika, were you aware of the film at all, and or anything more about Breaker Morant himself? No, I didn't. I didn't even know this was a courtroom drama until I went on Netflix and I saw the tag. And I'm like, ooh, now my interest is peaked. Oh, peaky peaky. Yeah, I just Peaks. knew that. I just knew that this was a famous film because I'd heard the title before. So for myself, I am familiar with this. I have seen the film before. Um, I have a fascination with war stories in general. Um, I like watching them. I like watching films and documentaries. I'm not a war history buff, but I like watching things like Patton or Gallipoli or even TV show-wise, Space Above and Beyond. These, these, These pieces of media that delve into the a morally grey and or bankrupted world that war puts people through. We jokingly say this a lot on the podcast, but it is a true statement nonetheless, and I mean this sincerely. The fourth the fourth series of Blackadder is one of my favourites because although a comedy, it also explores that very, very, very well and in, in a deeply nuanced way. Mm-hmm. But it's one of my favorite. Like I really do enjoy that. So Breaker Morant for me is a film that I was aware of. I wasn't aware of the events of it before watching the film. I knew the name Breaker Morant. He is a figure that is kind of um, lionized and kind of worshipped and kind of just there's a mythos to him, like with many Australian figures from this time period as well. Some of which are even on our money. For instance, we also love a good bush poet. Uh, Banjo Patterson is a guy that is on our $10 note and he was similar like Bush Poet guy and exploring we love these type of things so even if I hadn't seen the film I knew of Breaker Morant because Australian history has a, has just a deep affinity towards figures like him and or you know even more notorious like I said Ned Kelly these these figures that to to most people you go oh they're scum but to us <laughs> Aussies, we go no. But you see, they were misunderstood scum. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've seen the film once, and um, it is deeply regarded here. It is one of the iconic uh, war stories, uh, right up there with Gallipoli. I, I said that to you last yes, episode, you did. where the two films I would say are pretty equal with one another in weight and relevancy. But I haven't seen it since uh, I was like sixteen. 
So I, I, I recommended it for this because I just remembered, and I'm sure we've all had this, where you watch a film from long ago and all your memory retains is just, it was a quality film, mm. a solid film, and an, an, mm. an impactful mm. film. And you may remember scenes or character beats, but the overall essence of its quality is what you remember the most. You, you've had yeah. that plenty of times. I'm Bartek. sure millions of the things I've recommended have been exactly that. So, uh, Bartek, I'll ping it over to you. What did you think? I enjoyed it. Like I said, I enjoy a good courtroom film. Um, just last year, you showed me uh, 12 Angry Men for the first time, mm. and I was surprised. Like, yeah, of course, this is exactly what I'm into. Why haven't I seen this before? Um, this one had a similar thing going on, but in a bit of a different way. Like that one was more, you know, kind of just the information being liberally handed out to you to progress the discussion. Whereas this one is more of a, you know, exploration of the whole context. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the pacing was a bit different. Um, and this is definitely a film that I want to recheck out again at some point because. As much as there was a lot of information being given to me, sometimes I wasn't really connecting the dots in my head as I was hearing them, but I was getting that raw sense of like, yeah, you tell him, man. Like there was that one point where the guy's like, oh, I I do not know anything about this. And then the lawyer was like, that is proof of this fact that I said earlier. And I'm like, I don't quite know what that fact was, but yeah, you tell him, you can sweat. It's like there's this really kind of raw appeal to it. Uh, yeah, a visceral <laughs> feel. The film, even on a visual level, just has this grime to it, mm, this grit. Yeah. Uh, now, Paul, for you, what did you what did you think about this? Uh, so, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's, I think it's a brain. It's probably a good history lesson more than anything. It's um, it's taught me something that I didn't know. So that's good. Um, both Morant and Hancock, I I thought they were really captivating. They were my favorite part of the film um I, I like the structure of the film as well i liked how it it slowly like kind of unveils the the true happenings of what what the case is all about and the thing that sets it apart though from these these normal courtroom dramas is that it no one's really innocent no because no. they're in war and you know i can't really i can't really really back these people because the whole thing is based mostly on corruption most of the time. So mm. I can never really truly side with anyone. And it's kind of like, well, you know, they 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 got out their way to kill these people. <laughs> like they made their own decision to <laughs> kill these people. there was a precedent so, set by the British to do it. So but they, they still went and killed them. <laughs> the, thing, the thing, though, what you say too is, and the film even, even says this, if we judge these soldiers or any soldier by the normal trials of man and of Christian nature and so on. AKA you killed someone. You killed someone, even if it was following orders or not, we would be having trials indefinitely and we would be executing people indefinitely because on a moral level it's bankrupted. But we as individuals understand that's a part of what soldiers have to do. And it's just, yeah, and it goes on from there. Uh, Ben, what did you think about this? Uh, very similar to Paul on that front is I always find it very hard to sympathise with people in, in wartime when they, when they are killing people. I know war is hell, that whole thing. You're sent off to war and you've got to fight the enemy so you can't bring personal feelings into it. It's not about murder in the same sort of way. But I thought, just to put context into this, I think a comment that the director made is very, very telling about this film because Bruce Beresford afterwards said 
the reception to this film, he was shocked that so many people sympathised with the Australians because what he was actually trying to show was not, oh, these poor men that are being put on trial for something that they shouldn't have been blamed for. He was trying to show the horrors of what men are capable of in certain situations, how it can completely change men. I think... I don't think he actually puts that message across very well in the film. I think he maybe hoped to do that or with with a certain amount of retrospective looking back at the film now thinks that. But in the film, I think there is this idea that they are heroic to an, to an extent. And I think when I was watching it, I was critically able to say, yes, yeah, they're victims of a system, but they have done some terrible shit. Hancock, for example, when he just hopped on his horse and chased after the missionary and killed him. We find that out late into the act. And the young soldier, whose, whose name I forget now, is, is like appalled George. by that as mm. well. That's right. Well, he's that, he's, he's appalled by it. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, that's where things too, like his one is the last case that they have to deal with, the last part of it, and it's the most morally fucked of them because it's like the others it's like well you can see the rationale that has been enforced but he's that particular one it's like yes you can but mm, it does it, that one and that's why it's like they grill uh they grill handcock about that throughout the movie it's like what really fucking happened there mister yeah so we can spin they, something from it they go hard they go hard on him but i tell you what regardless of personal feelings about these guys in the film the thing that carries it for me, I love films that are all about dialogue for the most part. And this was fucking dialogue heavy. Oh, yeah. Of course, <laughs> it was based on a play, which is another thing that I love. But what really drove it was, to an extent, Edward Woodward with his explosive one-liners, which he has throughout. He's always great in any film when he does that. But Jack Thompson is the MVP in this. I, He's my point of identification. I don't know about you guys, but for me, he's who I'm empathizing with because he's thrown into this situation no preparation whatsoever you don't know the details of the case it's a lost cause go out there and try and defend these men and when he's scrambling around in the courtroom and he's shuffling his papers trying to make an argument it's like you are my access point because i feel as lost as you do at this moment in time and i'm playing catch up like you are and he put in such an incredible performance mvp that's jack thompson for you uh to get into my feelings about having revisited this I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I really loved the visual presentation. It's very difficult to make a courtroom drama visually interesting. And this film does not step over the line of being too flashy for the sake of it. It's very mannered. It matches the rather... Uh, Drawl but intense courtroom proceedings that we're having because this is a very regimented courtroom. This is not the same as as a Twelve Angry Men or or uh, you know others like big courtroom dramas. This is very much stiff upper lip. No, oh, no, you can't do that. I'm going to take my glasses off, very gentlemanly, to tell you that you can't do that. And <laughs> I am a big lover of that. But one of the things that I really appreciated what what really hit me in the heart in terms of just the filmmaking was the soundscape of every time, pretty much every time something bad is happening to them or a foreshadowing of like, oh, rumblings, you hear the peppy military music in the background from outside being played <laughs> by the band because that's how we introduced the movie too. Mm -hmm. We got this yep. yeah. gorgeous shot and everything, it's like, these guys are having a trial for their lives and they're on a, an outside. The music just keeps playing. Da, 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 da. Even after they've been attacked, after people have been killed at this specific yeah. place, 
back to the music. Hey, that guy just shot himself in the head. Back to the music. <laughs> they carried on playing. <laughs> they carried on that that gentlemanly thing. And to me, one of the most horrific scenes, one of the most unsettling scenes to talk about Jack Thompson's character, a real point of view, is when he goes to the dinner with all of the British officers. And they oh. have the, the, the guests there, and they have that guy come in and sing. And even before he enters, you have the, oh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, God bless the English will to strive and survive and all of that. It just makes your skin crawl. And yeah, just Jack yeah. Thompson coming in there and he's he's pouring himself out a meal and they're judging him. Like he's not mm-hmm. doing it correctly. It's like, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> it's That's, a great shot, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's from one end of the table. Shot. Everyone around the table is staring directly at the camera. It's mm-hmm. great. It is a marvelously constructed scene. Even the guy that they brought in, who's there to sing this gorgeous song, he looks miserable. Mm. Like, even he looks... Because also one of the many things about this is uh, a lot of things that aren't said, but are being said. All of the servants, uh, uh, black people or, or women, mm-hmm. and uh, or, or all of these uh, other foreign people that the English have dragged into just dance monkey dance for them and none of them are saying anything because that's just how it is yeah, none they of them all were even look miserable yeah none of them were even looking at mm. the singer there was just like a background noise to them yeah the woman was the woman was and she had like this haunted look on her face and like oh it, it's a very it's a very uh tactile film as well i i, I had an absolute ball watching now if i could just gush a second about australian performers cuz for for me this has a lot of what i would call like the Australian actors of this time. So Jack Thompson is is our lawyer, our man, our solicitor, who who's just a local guy trying to get it done. And Jack Thompson is is an iconic actor here. He has done so many great things. He's been in many iconic films. It's weird to see him without a beard. He usually has a big bushy beard mm. nowadays. But uh, if you what's, want... what's his big films, Jack Thompson? So I was going to recommend. Uh, there's an Australian one called The Club which is about a football club and he is uh he's a it's a story about corruption woohoo within a AFL football club another there's one a trend that I, here. was that sorry there's a trend here there's him. a trend there's another one i would highly recommend called the sum of us in which it's about russell crowe is yes, a young man who's who's gay and he's falling in love with another man and his father is jack thompson who's also uh, you know, later in life, he's falling in love with this woman, but he doesn't know how she'll react to his son's life. And it's a really beautiful film. He's wonderful in it. Very different to how he is here, where here he's a lot more aggressive, right? He, he's fighting for his case. But that film, he's really, he's a sensitive soul in that one. I love him in that. But uh, yeah, he has, yeah. A, he has a whole massive catalog. You just go through them and it's like, oh, bam, bam, bam. Uh, another one I have to shout out, of course, is... Brian Brown as Hancock. Bartek, you're a big fan of Brian Brown. You loved him in Two Hands. Two he Hands was... is the main thing I remember him from. Apparently he was also in Gods of Egypt. He was uh, the... the Osiris? Yeah, he was the father of uh, the lead character and he got killed by Gerard Butler, which is hilarious. I vaguely <laughs> remember Gods of Egypt is yeah. a terrible movie. One, because they get Brian Brown, who's fantastic. Every time you see him, he's an actor, go through his catalogue, He's always fantastic, always a presence. That movie, Gods of Egypt, said, what happens if we don't do that with Brian Brown? And it's like, why bother? <laughs> well, it's an why un- cast him? Well, I'll just correct you. It's an unappreciated masterpiece. It's an unappreciated masterpiece. <laughs> but you, you are familiar with him from, yeah, I, from some... I mainly know him from Two Hands, where he plays Pando, the leader of the like little 
gang, gang that uh, the main character is part of, but also the antagonists towards him. Mm. Um, yeah, he's great in that. And you, what did you think of him here? Yeah, it was good seeing him again in something else. He was he was very scummy. <laughs> <laughs> did the mustache give you that vibe? <laughs> the mustache very much told me, "Oh, here's Brian Brown." <laughs> Brian Brown's been in a lot of American productions as well. He was in he was a co lead in uh, Tom Cruise's Cocktail. He was in Gods of Egypt, <laughs> uh, and uh, he was in Along Came Polly, the uh, Jennifer Aniston. Ben Stiller movie. He's like Ben Stiller's mm. boss, mm. <laughs> something. He's been in, he's been a lot, but uh, and a uh, final shout out because there's many more I could go through. But the the lead uh, judge, the guy who's handing them down their their sentence, the one with the biggest oh, yeah. bushiest mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, Charles Tingwell, or as we called him, Bud Tingwell. Very beloved actor. He had a we- weird career where he did amazing films like this. And then he had a career slump for like a decade or so. Just could not get any work. And then randomly, some beloved Australian late night comedy host comedians brought him on as like a little recurring guest actor on their late night sketch comedy show. And he's like, oh, Bud yeah. Tingwell's back. He's funny. And then he uh, was a, a major character in one of the most beloved, iconic Australian comedy films of all time, The Castle where he plays their solicitor, and that just revived his career, and then he was just fantastic for the remainder of his life. And it's like, oh, this once prestigious <laughs> actor had a slump for no real reason, and then was revived by a, a surprise hit comedy film, and then just went on. And would you be surprised to hear that before he died, he finally played Winston Churchill. He always looked like Winston Churchill. <laughs> and everyone said, why don't you play him? And he said, I'll get around to it. And he did. He did. I loved him What'd in this play movie. Him in? What was that say? What did he play? Who did he play Winston Churchill in? I think it was like a TV movie special or okay. something or rather, something down here. But uh, he uh, was I, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I am stunned that you don't mention Ray Meager, who is the <laughs> only person that I recognise. <laughs> yeah, Alf himself. Did, yeah, I, it was like, what the hell, Well, do you want to be schooled? His name's actually pronounced Ray Ma. So there you go. His last name is confusing. This guy should have come from Wales if he wants it pronounced like that. The way that he's spelt his name and the way that's pronounced do not match up. Alf from Home and Away. The <laughs> Alf below, from Home and Away. Very jarring. Oh, shit. I recognise yes, exactly. him now. Exactly. It was very jarring when he turned up because I'm like, this. you are Young. a soap star. I mean, I don't know. I know that uh, Australia probably does isn't very proud of it, but it is a massive UK export. It was like what was Literally, on every day in our Literally, we stopped funding Home and Away. We stopped funding Neighbours and then you guys did and then you guys stopped funding it and it died and now it's coming back again. <laughs> so whatever. Like we stopped funding it like a decade or so ago. And But you Brits are like, give us trash. Yeah, we want we, We'll take all your trash. Good when I was we will take. Now, All the trash. For for uh for you, Paul, what were what were some of the standout moments in, in Break and Rand? Like you said, you weren't really familiar with what you're getting into, and so when it starts to unravel itself, uh kind of walk us through your experience and some of those beats that uh, took you by surprise or you enjoyed or standouts. Well, I mean, the the thing that took me biggest by surprise, I mean I don't want probably don't want to get into it yet, but the ending. I, I really thought this would be like a redemption kind of film where they're going to get there, like finally get out. Cause I had no like knowledge of any of the history of this. So that took me by surprise the most, but I really enjoyed in general, just um, the slowly like teasing out of the story and actually finding out what happened, especially when we find out what, um, 
Hancock did to the to the missionary. And um, but I, I think the, the biggest thing is just like no one's innocent in this war, right? So do you know, like when we we're talking, saying that obviously they're going by orders, so right. So if you're saying in that case that these people are innocent, then the Dutch soldiers are innocent as well. So it's like <laughs> I, I like that. It, it, it's one of those things where in any other court drama you kind of want to back someone but this made this film interesting because you could have backed either side well they even, even point though out you don't you don't want the upper you don't want the 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 upper echelon of the armies to to win no <laughs> you don't also there's no real winners or losers it's weird and break them around enjoyed it for that they point out that the 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 boars the dutch aren't playing by fair rules it's guerrilla war this isn't a gentleman's war anymore that is over it's a new it's, type you of could war say the same Men, about the upper echelon yeah of the exactly but it's like these soldiers aren't wearing uniforms they aren't doing formations they aren't men their children and women as well shooting you and so the rule they're like the rules are different now we've made up the <laughs> yeah. rules the most beloved soldier in all of the all of the empire has made these rules and he's too cowardly to come to the trial and face up to anything they're following order 303 oh that's a great scene 303 oh, that is good <laughs> excellent that is a good moment that is a perfect example of edward woodward shouting out lines and doing it impeccably He's one of my favorite mm. actors. I fucking Edward Woodward had one really strong talent, which was he loved to play people who, on the surface, seem calm, mild mannered, regimented, yeah, yeah. but very skin like thin skin, and they're very yes. angry underneath. <laughs> Basically, they really bridle up easily. And also, he look. He doesn't get a lot of happy endings. His movies. If you ever see a movie with Edward no. Woodward looking at the sun. Uh, near the end of the runtime, you go, no, Edward, it's not going to be okay for you. You don't make it. Because this and the Wicker Man have like the similar endings of like, oh, I'm accepting my death. I really, There's the sun. I really liked, because um, usually when you think of, you know, bush poets or like poetry from that time, you kind of think of like, oh, very flowery language. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's You have to like kind of interpret it. You got to go back to the vernacular of the time. But all of his poems that you hear in the film are just very straightforward. Like, I'm in prison. I don't like this i'm gonna die fuck you all kind of thing yeah <laughs> just very like raw limericks. and yeah yes oh well uh hancock literally said a limerick at one point yes he did and they did use break morant's real poetry he was yeah. i actually googled it after the fact I'm like oh yeah that was that's dialogue from the film yeah and uh that was yeah god uh ben what about you when you were sitting down you're watching break morant you go okay these 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 random podcasters who harangue me for not liking paddington too <laughs> Yeah. Want me to talk about? Oh God, I haven't seen Paddington too. Bartek, harangue him for not liking it. How dare you! I saw see, that cartoon when he, I was younger. See, he followed my orders. I don't remember anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> the, the, you know why I like Breaker Morant so much is because it does the opposite of Paddington too, which is it doesn't perpetuate the UK as some beautiful utopia. It says they're <laughs> fucking terrible. We are Paddington too. Lives in the world where you know all these uh, army upper tier people went on and said. This is how England should be. And Paddington 2 came about. So I'm in favour of Breaker Morant breaking that that viewpoint. Wow. So because of Breaker Morant, the bear eats the earwax. Yeah, bear eats earwax. Yes. I've seen the teaser, bad. see? That's bad. <laughs> but uh, Ben, for you, you're, you're watching this not knowing pretty much anything about it, not too much about it. No. So what were those kind of moments that you enjoyed as it unfurled itself? Well, like I say, for me, the, the key thing is 
dialogue and when a character suddenly reveals themselves through dialogue. And it was in the explosive moments in the courthouse where Jack Thompson was suddenly turning the case or seemed like he was turning the case or when you had an outburst from Woodward or when you had an outburst from, from Hancock where they were basically saying, this is fucking hypocritical. What you are saying makes no sense. And they were being put down, shut down by the, the courtroom puppeteers because that was where there was a revelation. It was like, even if we don't like these guys, which I did to an extent, I didn't love them, but I didn't dislike them. Even if we don't necessarily agree with what happened, we understand the hypocrisy and Yes, it is just one person's perception, but we do understand that they are being used as scapegoats because who doesn't root for the underdog in a, in a in a story like this where those who are paid well, eating well, fed well are getting off completely scot-free and the people going out there doing the dirty work are, are having to, to take the whole brunt. But in terms of one definitive moment without talking about the ending, it was Jack Thompson's closing arguments in court because it felt like, and I don't know if this is true, but it felt like there were no edits, that it was all one take. And he mm. fluffs his lines a couple of times. And I don't know if that was Thompson actually forgetting the lines in the script and carrying on, or if he was playing the part of someone who was fumbling over his mm. words at that point. Mm. Either way, it worked because it humanized him in that moment where he'd been struggling for so long. He knew from my point of view, he knew it was a lost cause at that point, but he was passionately trying to defend, defend these men. Um, it always comes down to dialogue for me in any story. If you can nail mm -hmm. dialogue and reveal character through dialogue, I'm with I'm, you. I'm and very similar or when a, a certain physical action can, or interaction takes place. I always go to uh, uh, the film Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal has a moment early on where he's trying, he's just sold a bunch of stolen crap to like a scrapyard guy. Uh, I know and then one. he asks him for a job and the scrapyard guy says no. And then what makes that movie really great is he, he leaves and then he comes back and asks why he didn't give him the job. And the guy says, cause you're a thief. And his character just smiles clicks his fingers and points and goes, good reason, good reason. And that told me everything I need to know about his character. A moment yeah. in this movie that really gave me that, a small moment, was uh, when they were walking to the courthouse and uh, the courtroom and uh, you have Jack Thompson is asking them all of these details again. And he's fumbling over them. He's dropping his paper. It's blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. And he has this exchange where he goes, oh, this person... Uh, you know who this person is. I can't remember the exact name. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, well, he he signed on as like one of the, the first people against you. And Brian Brown, I do believe, is like, no, that can't be. No, nah, that's not right. It's like, why? He's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. <laughs> yeah. And that told me about everything we need to know about the mentality of the movie where they're naive enough to think that people being good blokes or the system itself is going to stay that way and that it isn't going to turn against them. And if it would, it will be called out because that's not right. He's lying. That's not fair. It's, as we say in Australia, and I've used this term a lot, that's a dog act. Like, we don't abide by such low blow things. Like when one of my other favorite scenes, brilliant piece of cinematography, is when they do call... Uh, the 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 guy that they want uh, Kitchener to come in. He sends his flunky to go in, and you get that comedy cut to bam. He's in the courtroom, and it's an intense close up of his head, like he's right next <laughs> to the camera, and he's he's clearly lying. Like he's he's like got his head on the Bible, and you can see in his little beady eyes that he's already lying about how he's not yeah. going to lie. And 
that there was just another further demonstration of the no, that can't be. He's a good bloke. That that naivete, that that Australian. Oh, come on, we're all buddies here. We look after each other. We're 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 good blokes. I guess that's a factor that plays into what we were expressing earlier about how the whole impartial thing didn't quite. 100% land because, yeah, they're the Australian characters are the ones who aren't in the position of power. They're very much being, you know, punched down towards, so we do find ourselves more gravitating towards them, even though, yeah, when you look on it overall, they did kill prisoners of war. Yeah. And very casually when we see in the flashbacks. And we we get withheld for a very long time. I thought this was a, was a brilliant piece of business from the film. We have our three on trial. And for the most part, we understand why two of them are there. We understand why Hancock is there. We understand why Breaker is there. And the other guy's there too. It's like, well, he yeah, must George. have. He, George must have. Witten. He must George yeah, Witten. Witten joined in. He must have joined in at some point. And yet when we ever see the flashbacks, as also this movie has a flashback structure, uh, we always see him not wanting to or really being appalled by this or calling them out on the official written rules. And so you're sitting there going, well, why is he here? And yeah. Then you get the he revelation. Just fell on his knife, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. He um he 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 did kill someone in legitimate self defense, and yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, he is a scapegoat, and it just furthers the point that Breaker and Hancock are putting down. Even though their the blood on their hands is far more legitimate, with this guy here too, it just it just makes the whole entire thing more of a circus than anything yeah, else. Sure. And even just like the ca- yeah, the casual reveal in the where are they now where it's like he served three years and then they let him go. And then he wrote a book about yeah. saying fuck you to the English. Yeah, but just like the whole big the whole big like twist of like you are found guilty, you will serve life sentence and then just oh, he served three years and we let him go. Because yeah. we was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it, just, it, like, it the was casual a wrong like thing. yes, we all yeah, go ahead. I wish that they uh, it's fact, so you can't undo fact and put it in the postscript. But until the credits come up and it says he only served three years, I almost think, Jesus, he has a harsher punishment than the other two because mm. he has to live the rest of his life behind bars as a prisoner. Whereas the other two, if you're going to, if, if the choice between a life sentence and a death sentence, I'll take the death. Yeah. At least I can go out quickly. So that would, that, that bittersweet moment of him living but having to live behind bars for the rest rest of his days was undone by that. Oh, he was released after three years. But, and but then- here's the thing, though. It's even more bitter, bitter, bittersweet because it further underlines that this, this gentlemanly, oh-so-magnificent system of the Empire is really broken to its core because they killed these men under yeah, this yeah, whole guise, right. they put this guy here and then quickly realized it was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. Let him go. And yeah. even to the point where the final shot of the movie, one of the final shots of the movie, to even just hammer it in more that it's broken and fucked up and doesn't work is Brian Brown doesn't fit in his coffin, just like he said he wouldn't. It's like they didn't Amazing even measure moment. me. They have to jam Amazing his feet moment. in. And it's just a quiet little moment. In, in in all honesty, it brought that kind of dark smile, like dark comedy smile to my face of like, yeah, he was right. They couldn't even yeah, get his yeah. fucking coffin right. Yeah. So of course they didn't get the trial right. Of course they didn't get this guy's sentence right. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course, they couldn't even get this they couldn't even get his coffin. They didn't even bother to measure him. That was just one of those beautiful moments. Now for you, Bartek, you did see that it was a, a courtroom drama before you, but what was your overall experiences of it? And uh what were those kind of 
pivotal moments or highlights for you? I think similar to what Paul was saying, just all the scenes that were in the courtroom itself were really what grabbed me. Like every time they had to take a break to, you know, have a flashback or show something else happening somewhere else, it's like, okay, sure, this is necessary, but man, let's go back to the court. That's where all the the good stuff happens. Like I also really enjoyed the the lawyer character. Mm. Um, He very much reminded me, and this other film built up to this character. We didn't see him until the very end, but when we did the Kane mutiny, yes. uh, Miguel Ferrer's father, what was his name? Yeah, Jose. Jose Ferrer. Um, we went this whole film, you know, being on the side of these soldiers, uh, you know, criticizing the Humphrey Bogart character, seeing things from their perspective, and then this character comes along and kind of turns the tables on all our preconceptions. Yeah, we spend like the last forty minutes of that movie. Yeah, being like with oh, this outsider character saying, actually, doing the Jack Thompson, actually, look at this, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, he's defending them, but then you got that scene outside of the courtroom where he's like, this guy who's lived his whole life serving his country, uh, he he wasn't being this incompetent. He was doing this, 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 and it's making you realize, oh, God, I had all these preconceptions that are just being shattered. And, you know, obviously this character in this film was in it throughout, so it was a little mm. bit different, but it very much reminded me of that kind of performance, that kind of, you know, the the third party to everything that's really telling everyone how, what's what. One of my favorite little details that was also sprinkled in later, but you can actually look back and see it, is the prosecution, the lawyer there too. He's 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 also a little victim because even when he's doing a good job or bad job, the uh, higher up still look down on him because was he half Irish or something? It's like he has a little bit of yeah. this in him, mm. so he's not. We can't we can't fully trust him, but he'll do the job. Like even that guy, you see him in the movie go from like. I would never say he was properly cocky. Like, that prosecution guy, like, I would never say, like, he was, like, a an evil lawyer character. He was just doing the job and evoking what the Empire wants of him. But even then, at some point in the movie, you see that actor just really have it in his face. He wasn't- That even he is, like- Damn, they're putting up a good defense for this. Mm. He well, he wasn't the one that was going like, well, I find that morally awful. My <laughs> favorite scene in terms of because this film has comedy in it, as would any film with Australians in it. We do do love having a little bit of a oh, they comedy. Heckle so many of the witnesses, but uh, <laughs> agitates, agitated. Would you say he was agitated? And it's like, oh uh, uh, yeah, I would say that. It's like, oh, he's leading the witness. It's like, oh yeah, so I overrule that. Oh, I'll, I'll rephrase it. Uh, how would you describe how he looked? Uh, agitated. agitated. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic with with that type of humor in there, and the the camaraderie that you you do feel because Jack Thompson comes in flustered. He 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 doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know these people. The type of war that he fights as well is different to what they're doing. Even when he's finding out what they've been up to, does appall him as well. But he has to find like the connection to the client, and uh, one of the characters I we haven't talked about, but I found intriguing as well, is the one played by John Waters, the uh, the guy with the little scar on his cheek that was with uh, Breaker Morant oh, yeah. in the flashbacks, and we see him later in the movie. He's the one that gives him the chance to escape at the end. He's like, I could, I could help mm. save you, Breaker. I could give you a ship, and you could sail the world. You could see the world. And Breaker's like, I've already seen it. That guy was a very interesting character too because it's like he's going to have trials as well. His trials worked out fine for him because he's an intelligence officer, but 
he was fucking cold-blooded when you had the flashbacks. He's just sitting there smoking and being like, oh, so I hear you've been executing soldiers, uh, prisoners yeah. of war. So it's like, yes. No, okay then. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> did, you, did you not think, you speaking of the flashbacks, there was kind of a revelation moment, I think, each time they flashback because each time that Morant saw, oversaw an execution or, or saw someone was shot, it always cut to his expression mm. watching on when it happened and he was ne- he, he was never gleefully doing it he was never indulging in it it was always i don't want to do this even when he did it in vengeance mm. he didn't want to do it and his face was always crestfallen at the moment which i guess was kind of saying goes to the point of in times of war all bets are off there is no manual it's not as handsome it's not as handsome as this Give no when you're water. out in the field mm. it's you do what you have to do and the Boers were doing what they had to do. Everyone was doing what they had to do. It came. This came out 1980. Vietnam, man, it was it was topical because it was at exactly the same time as Vietnam, where exactly that was happening. Everyone was doing what they had to at that point. How how could you possibly try those things by a, a court of moral standards, especially yeah. a British court of moral standards? And this was a trial. This was a moment uh, where Australia decided to never let the British judge our soldiers. This was the incident. This was the moment where we separated away from that. So Australia judges our own people for what they do in wars and the military. But that was not the case here. You have that brilliant moment where where uh, Jack Thompson's trying to call that out, but then he, he just gets, no, you see, they're part of the British army system mm-hmm. there, so they have to abide by it. Ha ha ha. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, brother, this is... One of the things that is, and I'm sure Bartek, you can definitely attest to this, having grown up here in Australia and getting history lessons, one of the key, I think, psyche points of Australia is we were the victims, the or the unknowing victims of the British Empire. Like the whole of World War One is very much a tale of the British led us astray. The British used us as cannon fodder. We were scapegoats. We were the little brother to the empire who was put in Gallipoli and we were massacred. And we, we have this. We very, very much, much identify with the Blackadder Goes Forth cast. Yeah. We very much have this uh, notion of uh, the turning points for, for our mentality is through extreme tragedy that other people put on us. And very rarely do we put the blame on ourselves. It's always the British did it too. The British made us get involved in that way. The, it was the queen or the king or in more modern times, it was the Americans. Oh, those dust. It's always deflecting away and going to someone else or just some higher system of authority. It's like our national victimhood. It's our national victimhood, yes. But there is a truth in that. There is a truth yes. in that because like, all, all countries have their nationalism and, and we're clean as anything. I think as as subject of the British Empire, <laughs> I think I can safely say that everyone, Breaker Morant, Braveheart, all these films where people rebel against the British and colonialism – even if it's sugar-coated and rose-tinted, I'm for it because we did mm-hmm. a lot of terrible shit. And Absolutely. We, we deserve our just desserts. And there is a reason, guys, that Paul and I over here have never heard of Breaker Moran, but you mm-hmm. guys there have heard of it. Yeah. There is no interest in getting those stories told over here. Yeah. would never have heard the story of Breaker Moran had it not been for you guys inviting us on this podcast to hear about it. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. an interesting cross of cultures, right? Because you know, I, I I find it an interesting tale, nonetheless. But being Australian, it matches up perfectly with the narratives we have of like these these uh these 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 these, these good blokes. Just the the system that was created by those darn Brits led mm-hmm. led them down to a path where you know no man should be. But it's like. At a certain point, and even the film argues this, at a certain point, you have to take accountability as well for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, but it, at the same time, it's like, well, if the system is enforcing a certain worldview, a certain view of like how military procedures works, where uh, the whole the whole thing is, look, it's not a written rule, but everyone does it, I so keep, it's fine. I keep flashing back to the scene where – it was a flashback scene, funnily enough – where uh, one of the characters was saying something like, Mate, we don't have any room for the prisoners. Go execute yeah. them. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. oh god, calloused and it's it's cruel. it's their equivalent of when the British are like, we have to sacrifice them. Yes, yes, we have to. But surely that gross. that would be the case. That would be the case, though, right? It is it is morally reprehensible, but in the field at that point, it would be like, well, yeah, we we we've got stripped back rations. We've barely got provisions for ourselves. Taking prisoners of war, we can't just execute. Honestly, yeah, the, the, the mentality is really fascinating. Like even when we finally got the flashback where you know the the bows were being lined up for the execution, just the fact that they were like calmly walking up to the spot where they would get shot, you know, standing still and ready. Obviously, one of them attacks George, but just the oh, fact that they're not just shitting themselves there. It's like we, myself, as a modern audience member, is like, oh my god, I cannot imagine being in like a war situation. The no, hell no. The deaths, the executions are often not shown on the screen itself. We do have those cutaways to other people, other events happening. The main kill shots we get is the the, the, the end with our two leads. Yeah. Well, they dealt them not to miss. Oh, yeah, that was... Well, one of them, <laughs> they, not both. They, they, they egged the them on. moment of the film. <laughs> they egged them on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of the things that I think really holds the film together even more so is like that, 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 that slamming of the British, but also uh, just... The, the layers of that mentality and the the gobsmack, like, draw-on-the-floor hypocrisy that happens. There's so many moments where it's like, we've been told one thing, but then you see in the courtroom they say the other thing. And I was just curious for you, Bartik, was there, was there any in particular that you were just like, oh, jeez, come on. Really? <laughs> really we're doing this? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the one that flashbacked me. But um, it wasn't a moment of hypocrisy, but I, we really have to give it up for the real the real breaker Moran for, like, that was the perfect Bible quote to put on your epitaph. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, the people on your side, <laughs> they're going to fuck you over, basically. <laughs> that was a good one. One of my, one of my gobsmack moments was... Uh, you have that conversation about uh, we we have to be careful, especially with the German that was murdered, because we know the Germans will find any excuse to to screw us over. So we want to uh, tie them over and be gentle to them and and treat them well. And then when Breaker Morant is going through why they would have to have executed the German, and Germans are known for this behavior and they're known to ally. They then turn around and like, how dare you say such things? You know, <laughs> how could you how could you think that the Germans would want to do anything like that? You're costing us like a, a, a potential allyship with these with these fine yeah. folks. And it's like, you pieces of shit. Yeah, when they initially said like and they murdered a German missionary, like I I was not passing in my head that missionary meant like, you know, a man of God or anything like yeah. that. So when we finally did see that he was like a man of God, it really hit me like 
oh, they killed someone who wasn't even a fighter. No, and but so, so clarify for me why they killed him. I think I understood it. My so, understanding was so because he, he went in and the spoke prisoners, with them. and Breaker Morant yeah. was already concerned that this guy could have been a spy. He could have yeah. been somebody distributing information. And his main reasoning as right, to right. why, again, goes to personal vendetta is. The the missionary provided information that did lead to the event, the eventual ambush of the guy that um, Breaker is seeking revenge for in the first place. So he already doesn't like this guy. He already doesn't trust him. But this moment here, where he speaks to these prisoners, was the was the final straw yeah, that broke the camel's back. Yeah. He's like, I told him, I told mm. you not to speak to them. I gave you all of these chances, no more chances, and yes. off they go to kill him. So we never get to know if any of that was true, like if that guy did do these yeah. things, we if don't he, get to if know. If he was just being completely honest, like, I'm a man of a god, they wanted to talk to me, so I did. I yeah, talked exactly. to them, so I did. I will be honest, uh, because they don't reveal him for a while either. Again, this film has amazing restraint with those key pieces of information I actually like yeah, the flashbacks. Sure. They never got in the way of the courtroom drama for me, but uh, I can understand why. I know you, Bartek, you love just to have live in the courtroom, like in the, Look, in the they, trials they, and stuff. They served a purpose. They, they, they established they, context, so I can't blame them for that. But when they had the very first scene where they were going to that ambush and they had the translator guy who eventually is one of the witnesses. Yeah. I thought he was mm. that missionary until he came out as a witness. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, same. I thought that as well. He was a zombie. No, <laughs> but uh, uh, Ben, what about you? Were there any particular moments of just, you know, you gobsmacked or just you even have a bit of a, a laugh or just guffaw at the, the hypocrisy or the mentalities that were being played here? The big uh, moment for me, which shocked me, but at the same time I was like, well, yeah, of course, given the constraints of what we're seeing in this courtroom, of course it would be this way, was when uh, they're all in there. Like their cells, if you want to call it that, mm. and then there is a a boar attack, and they're suddenly all set loose, given their guns. You've got to <laughs> serve back. You're still soldiers, and then, yeah, back in the courtroom the next day, and the, the guy's like, "Irrelevant! I will have no mention of that in this courtroom." It's like they're just performing their duty. It's like, yes, they were performing their fucking duty when they killed him, the prisoners before since, as well, man. Since when does the Duke of Wellington preside over military? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, always I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that does have some bearing on the military things that are going on. Since <laughs> always, it's like you piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck Bud Tingwell. He is and so also, who is that other guy? Who's that guy who came in towards the end in the courtroom? He was like a British. He was, he was like a British, like Cockney. Oh, I was, I was just there for a pint. So, oh, yeah. it might have been the beer talking. He yeah, was yeah. funny. He was some comic, com, comic relief. Yeah, he was right the, at the he end was of the, the courtroom uh, proceedings. Agi- he was the, he was agitated guy. I loved him. <laughs> he was great. Yeah, he, he was great. He was and good. He, and I he kept playing with that hat. He had like that, that big pointy hat on his lap. And he kept playing with it like a child. <laughs> a, Australian <laughs> lovable dumb guys are a great archetype. Yeah, he's he's a lovable, lovable dumb guy. Paul, what about you? Were there any of those uh, just uh, wow? They went there type moments for you. Go back to the German translator, where I don't really know the history of the case and everything, but he um, to know whether this actually happened. But for him to do that classic thing of turning against everyone and like being that unreliable witness and being like, "Oh, it's like it's so great," and then for him to get killed afterwards because he was clearly like showing holes in his story and getting so so nervous in the in the courtroom. But I thought that was great. It's like he just gets murdered, and it's like don't say anything else. Yeah, he just murdered. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was just, like shit. Gone. Get that rid was, of the loose ends. Yeah, that was that was pretty 
intense and uh oh bod tingwell is so good as that mustachey you know presiding over and he's playing with his glasses all the time and he looks like a little turtle like he's just such an old fuddy duddy but tingwell was a fucking hero there like i said there's a sketch show used to have him on called for segments called bod remembers or something and it would just be segments of him talking about his youth but the thing is he clearly doesn't remember much so the gag is like the more he's talking, the more outlandish the story gets because clearly he's forgetting all of these key details. So <laughs> yeah, he's an unreliable yeah. narrator. And I'm like, you loved doing that, didn't you, bud? Because here it's like <laughs> my some of my favorite scenes were just him lounging around talking to his fellow Brits about everything going on. <laughs> and uh, I, I, another key moment for me in terms of just looking at it going oh okay was when they they lock in brian brown's story it's like okay this is your story you slept with these women you fuck these yeah. two women and you expect you oh, say that the british won't like the british will grill them because they want the case to be locked in but then they're gentlemanly it's like well no we wouldn't want to tarnish these wholesome ladies' reputations. We won't drink them. <laughs> well, no, 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 we what, don't even need was, their names. <laughs> wasn't it the lawyer that was like, now are you really going to embarrass these women? Yeah, and then Bud <laughs> yeah. will be like, well, of course not. They're ladies after all. Like, we're civilized here now. No, no, no. To go back to the case, I want... Uh, you're Bloody gonna, simps. You're going to die. <laughs> but I loved... There was that moment where it's like, oh, this is this is Brian Brown's story. There was, a, there was a small window in that where I believe that that was what he did. And I'm like, no, Absolutely. no. Yeah, no. there was. I had a good chuckle at just Brian Brown running into. I think it was like the second woman's one or whichever one. He's asking, "Oh, could I have some coffee first? I need some yeah, energy." Yeah, and they yeah. just fuck immediately yeah. instead. He's like, I, "Okay, no coffee." And then he puts his gun against the wall and it wobbles. He it's plays like, it off like she's the only one that wanted. It. Like, oh, yeah. all right, we can do this. That was an amazing. Uh, I admire his stamina. I do. That was truly, truly amazing piece of just to loop back to something that you were saying that uh, Bartek about the whole courtroom thing about wanting to return to the courtroom I, I agree with you that's that is where I think even though it is important to have some of the, the contextual stuff in the flashbacks the most enjoyable stuff was what took place in the courtroom yeah like I, I think, like I was saying earlier it's like the child the childish rawness of like yeah give me those moments yeah yeah give me those moments but this was a play originally right mm, so yes. I wonder how much of how much of the play was entirely in the courtroom like I can't imagine they kept cutting to reenactments you know that they wouldn't have been able to do it in the in the constraints of a stage play maybe a second act could have been entirely flashback but i feel like probably a lot of it was done through dialogue in courtroom do, do you think they had the shootout in the play the big shootout oh, I hope so. everybody <laughs> stormed in and they had a you know the lights would scene. cut out the <laughs> lights just, would cut out at that moment i could see a lot of like non-naturalistic like location changing happening yeah but let, I, yeah, the, let me let me remind you bartek australian theater do you see it happening no <laughs> i i agree I, but in all fairness you look up the behind the scenes and uh, the director and, uh, and the writers as well one of the writers is jonathan hardy who was for farscape fans i don't know if we have any Farscape fans listening, but he was the voice of Rigel, the talking slug puppet alien monster in Farscape, one of the most beloved characters, who, by the way, himself looked like a Muppet. If you look up uh, Jonathan Hardy's picture, he's the bushiest eyebrows you've ever seen on a human person ever. They're very big. But <laughs> they went out of their way. Of to, that character. Yeah, they went out of their way to 
even go further into the research of Breaker Morant and then get these things. I, I, one of the things I'm just curious of, just production wise, of because it didn't bother me because I also remember like back back in the day, a lot of Australian accents basically sounded British a little bit. But I was curious for you Brits, where the only real British person in the movie is Edward Woodward, and may, pretty mm-hmm. much everyone else that's supposed to be British is just Australians doing a hoity-toity accent. Did that? Did that? Did that? hit upon your radar at all how did you feel about that i don't know how you felt paul but it was very confusing for me up front in, in because, terms of uh, who because, was australian and who wasn't yeah because yeah. of exactly that I, I was like well wait but there's you've got this one brit on trial with them so it's not really it's not really uh using australians as scapegoats because they're subjecting one of their own and they there's like a throwaway line halfway through about oh yeah i sort of renounced my uh, nationality and uh, joined up. That was confusing. But also, the Jack Thompson character, he, my understanding is, he was born in Britain, moved to Australia, but has spent the last, I don't know, what, 10, 15 years in South Africa. So I didn't understand exactly where his allegiance was. And while you're trying to navigate all the facts, the historical facts, the facts that are yet to be revealed to us in the courtroom and have these two things playing out as well, it made for a very complex uh, first watch. I think a second watch of this, for me anyway, would be much more rewarding now that mm. I understand how, how you go from point A to point B, who all the key players are. Mm. Right, rewind. Let me see that again now. I'm Let with me this see land. Get that. You're with this land. Yeah, yes. Sure. Paul, thoughts? Um, yeah, I was, just, I was more in... Um, trying to understand who was actually Australian in the film, not actually who's who's playing an Australian or something. So pretty thinking, much everyone except for Edward Woodward is Australian. Yes. Well, I, d- I didn't notice. I did not notice. So are you saying everyone who was in the courtroom? Yeah, Bud Tingwell, like, the main okay, judge wow. guy, he was Australian. Um, yeah, pretty, everyone, yeah, I think oh, yeah. pretty much everyone is Australian except for... Because uh, also one of the, the, the things that held up production was the Australian act- actors' equity got pissed off with this because they had a British person in it, Edward Woodward. See, Australian mm. films like to keep it local, and one of the things, too, is it's like you have to have Jack Thompson in this movie if you're going to do it. There's just certain yeah. rules and co- stuff of that variety that Australia loves to still do to this day. We've covered many Australian movies on the podcast, and whenever we read up the behind the scenes, there is a lot of oh, you see the 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 local state, you know, whether it's Victoria or here, South Australia, had funded it, and they demand that you have to have film it here, or you have to have this mm. local talent involved, or you have to have this quota of local talent involved. So for a movie of this prestige, it's like well we have to have Breaker Morant be British because he was and yeah. they want mm-hmm. Edward Woodward because he's just a fucking fantastic actor and yeah. so it was still a struggle to get that to happen even though we look at it now all of these decades later going oh why would that be such a hassle look how good it was mm. that's just not how film industries work I mean uh, I know it's a similar things for you like uh, in, in England I especially know like uh, at least from afar like British TV stuff has a lot of those really strict rules about these things like you got to fund this and you got to have this here and this here and it's like mm-hmm. the industry can just be annoying because it's like yeah why don't you just let them hire the people that's good for the job well you see ryan they've got to have 
these actors in it though. It's like, oh, okay. All this discussion yeah, like, and Ronald Reagan just still said, oh, I like this movie. Yeah, Ronald Reagan <laughs> loved this movie. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, he loved it. Apparently and, um, it's his like top two films Let's never forget King Charles wow. is a big movie lover and uh, he also loved Blackadder. King Charles. Oh, uh, King current, Charles, yeah, I know. Yeah, but that's so a bit strange. He, he loved this movie and showed it to his mum. Which is like, how does she feel? How did she feel watching yeah. this? It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's like a snake eating its own tail. Those I think. Australians. Yes, good job. <laughs> I never learned a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Where exactly. are the cows? Yeah. Moo moo. Yeah. I'm a bitch. This can't be about me. <laughs> this can't be about me. <laughs> I was. Wait, I was have a show like? called The Crown, which is just propaganda for myself. Lovely. Rather, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've got to talk about the ending because we, we've kind of hit a lot of those big beats during all of the court trial. There's lots of great, those moments of objection, overruled, how oh, dare I, you? Before yes. we do, I just want to say that first cross-examination, like really, it really set the mood not only for the lawyer character, but just like that rawness that I really wanted. The defendant also, like the witness tried to leave after. Mm, yes, yes. If it's not obvious, yeah. I'm a big Ace Attorney fan, and that was like big Ace Attorney energy. You love your Ace Attorney. <laughs> now, Bartek, were Amazing. you at all aware of the fates of the characters in this? Did you have that naivete of our British people of, it'll be a redemption story, they'll make it out, it'll be all okay. <laughs> I was fairly open to the possibility of maybe they get executed. Oh, yes. And uh, when it came to those final moments when they were getting their sentences bestowed upon them, what was your what was your feelings and thoughts about that? Because we start with Witten first, and he he gets a he gets a lighter one. He get well, he gets a lift. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the the whole execution thing. Like I've already mentioned, like I think all three of the big fuck you points of like the the poem, uh, the the epitaph, Bible quote, and then his final words, like shoot straight or whatever. Mm. Just the the defiance he showed all the way down was just. It, it really captured that that spirit of like, okay, I can see why this is someone who, you know, people today might revere for his attitude. Yeah, I yeah. when it came to those final moments, I it it has that dark gallows humor that we particularly revel in. Many, many moments of just Brian Brown cracking jokes and drinking and dancing on the table and making the statements about getting, they didn't even measure me for the coffins and, you know, Breaker Morant just smiling and smoking cigarettes and just like, they know they're going to be die. They're going to, they're going to die. They're going to be died. They're going to be died. No, they're going to die. They know this, but they still have (laughs) this attitude of like, well, so so be it. Ah oh, well, we made the best of what we could do. Like, hey, yes. Jack Thompson, don't feel bad. You did your best. Yes. Like, don't carry this for the rest of your life. It's not your fault. Don't carry this. Look, you weren't the right lawyer for the job in the first place, but you did your best. Like, what else could you do? Like, it's, <laughs> I'm just a the- small town lawyer from out of state. That's hey. what it was when he rocked up. I, like, I'm not familiar I, with I, your country trials, ways. How many trials have you done? None. <laughs> so, yeah. None of this type. Yeah. None. I'm not. I'm just a local solicitor. I do paperwork. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I. That was just one of those things that really caught me. Even before, like the proper end, end was just in another version of this movie. It would have a far more glib and morose approach to these men's impending fate, but instead it does have that 
coy Australian wry sensibility of just looking at this like it is absurd, but also we made the best of our lives. We still stand by what we did and who we are. And I'm still going to write my poems and write my letters yeah. back home and say what was mm-hmm. really important to me. So even though it's a movie where it's like, if you said it to someone, yeah, it's in the end, they, they get tied to some chairs and they get shot and it's and they're dead. And the final shot is one of them getting shoved into a coffin that doesn't fit. It's like, oh, that sounds really sad. Mm. But yeah. because of that attitude that is very prevalent within the film beforehand and with just us as 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 a as a culture it isn't it's almost it is it is the it is the embodiment of bittersweet in a way didn't gallipoli end a lot more tragically gallipoli ends very tragically is it like a guy getting shot mid battle or something and then cutting to black and white it is an iconic ending yes it's a the film is about a, a guy who who's a runner like he was running, like he's a runner, and the final shot is him finally getting to do the run over the trench, and he's like mirrors the exact same running as he did when he was happy and free, and it's like freeze frame on the shot getting hit mm. in his chest, and it's like a, a butterfly of yeah. blood. It's very good. I've Gallipoli only is seen a great the, film. I've only seen the ending, so good. Gallipoli for me. is a film where it's like you can't spoil the ending because it's like fucking nobody made it out of Gallipoli. <laughs> so, but um, uh, uh, now now our British pals, our lads, our boys, our chaps, if we're going to get yes. fancy, uh, you guys definitely gravitated towards the the final moments of this. So so please. Just, just lay it out bare for us, and just talk to us over, over, over about this stuff. So personally, I'm... for me, oh, go on, go on, Ben. No, no, personally for you. So personally for me, like regardless of what you you thought about whether they did a good thing or not, but that those end moments just gives you that fuck yeah feeling. Like yeah, go be defiant, be be uh, as as heroic as you can at the end. It's like yeah. Don't even put the blindfold on me. I'm going to take it. You want to give it to me, I'm going to have it. <laughs> it's like, I just love that. And just the, I really, really love the payoff of the, the coffin at the end. That that was one of the most amazing <laughs> moments in the whole film for me. I just, I mean, it really paid off for me. And I thought it was good. That whole, that whole ending, it nailed it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's a lot, I don't know how we would have felt or how people in the UK would have felt watching it back then. But now, because there is so much anti-British sentiment within the country, because we're now at a point where we, particularly the younger generation, understand the terrible shit that this empire has been responsible for. We are all of them at the end. We are those guys at the end when they march off to their inevitable death. We want that defiance. We want to hear him shout that. Shoot straight, you bastards. Don't make a mess of it. Excellent. And the brutal way that you said it, Ryan. They don't really show any executions in the film. But then at the very end, they show Moran and Hancock's execution in, in, in all, all its bloody form. It's that kind of full stop. It's a defiant full stop on it. It makes them out to be more heroic than, than anything in that moment, I think. And I'm completely in their camp, even though throughout the film, I'm constantly like, well, you morally, you're a little sketchy anyway. I know that all the big players are, but at the end... I'm like I'm with you. You are, you are heroes. But I do think that that is potentially the film's view and how they are portrayed in the film. Because my understanding, limited understanding, is that the facts in real life are not necessarily so crystal clear, and that Morant might have actually been a bit more of a, a bit more of a tyrant than than the film projects him as being. Uh, 
that you might have killed a few more innocent people in in wartime, but in in a more uh, gung ho way. But within the constraints of the film, I am with him and them. Yeah, the the mm-hmm. most poignant moment was a moment of uh, improvisation, and I later found out an actual true thing as well, where they hold each other's hands as they mm. walk towards where they're going to be shot. Yes. That was yeah, just such a. It's one of those things where once you see that happen, you go, "Of course, that's that's a perfect piece." to to really tie the bow on all of this like that that simple gesture between these two men of solidarity and just understanding and and one last time of physical connection it was just breathtaking and another moment of when they get shot their death rings out we we hear it we see it echo out and we see the reactions of the people left and they know what's happened is wrong and yet it's happened that's just how it is and it's over now and like I said, and like we've all praised, the the coffin bit at the end, it just, what a way to end it. That's just really surmises the whole entire arguments made within the movie as as well. And just, yeah, the little, the little, like the little things of what happened to them afterwards was also great to see. Like, yeah, that guy, the, the kind of really morally scummy guy who gave Breaker the chance to escape, oh, he's fine. Like he said, yeah, he would be, he's doing all right. He's fine. <laughs> you know, he's a good man and he's, he's doing okay. And then, yeah, that guy, he, he got freed and he wrote a book that was just basically about the accounts of this saying that the British suck. And you go, yeah, what a hero. He's, <laughs> he, he said the British suck and we all agree on that. But we do all agree. I, I, we agree with that. Yeah, very, very powerful. I'm glad that we all got something out of this. I wasn't too sure how it would all feel, feel about it, but I, yeah, I just recommended this because of that overall sensation that I was left with all those years ago of this was a solid movie. Like, this was one of those really powerful films, but I, I wanted to give it a revisit and I wanted to visit it with a, a bunch of people to really have a chance to bounce off and see what all of these other perspectives are. Because also, like I said, I, I have a bit of an affinity towards these stories that really get into the mud of what war does to people. Jack Thompson's speech about that is really great about the, you know, they aren't abnormal people. They're normal people thrown into abnormal circumstances. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that make you as a person? And that, that whole entire speech at the end is, is one of those uh, conflicts of interest when it comes to soldiers and comes to war. And we see that, be explored time and time again in a lot of these war movies, whether it's Full Metal Jacket or Apocalypse Now or Breaker Morant, mm-hmm. all very yeah, different yeah. films to one another, yet they still get it at the heart of that issue at the center of it. And like with many people, it's like there's a part of you that goes, I know the military exists. I know the army exists. Like, heck, I may even know people who have been in it. But yeah. how do you square away that's like a part of their job is to be able to just kill people? How do you square that away? And how do they square that away? And that's that's what they really get to here. And back in the day, it's like you got to justify it through the the great British Empire, this thing that will last forever. And we're we're right. There's the and, and if we're not, you're wrong. That's the answer. You're wrong, and you got to be little scapegoats for us and our political ambitions and chess games of the world. You know what sums up the whole thing for me? It's the opening of the film where you get the opening uh, few lines explaining the Boer War. And there is this brilliant line which says, 
the issues were complex, but basically, and I'm like, I love how casual you're being in your opening to go, the issues are complex, but basically, you've actually written that, but basically, because like, we know you're not going to understand this. So let me just give it to you in a couple of sentences here. And even after that, I didn't understand it. Let me give That's you the important points. <laughs> this is what's relevant. The fact yeah. that Previously the, on the Boer War. The greatest yes. way to describe it too is the Boer War is uh, often noted as the first quote unquote dirty war of the 20th century. One of the first of very, very, very many. And I think this notion really ends with World War One, but we see it being reverberated here of the war of yesteryear is over now. The gentlemanly war, the war of honor, that's over now. And we often see in the in in history books and whatever that notion was completely tattered and destroyed and thrown on the ground with the end of World War One, where that was really that dissolution happened there. And then obviously whatever we want to talk about, like World War Two, every country has their different kind of versions of that. America definitely looks at World War Two as the that made us the heroes of the world, and we can rule it, rule it now. We're good guys. It, it we was, saved yeah. those poor Europeans when they were struggling. It was good that in mm-hmm. the courtroom scenes we had a lot of you know, questions about, like, the nature of this new war. Like, we had the whole thing about, like, what are commandos? Like, a couple of those lines when I was hearing them, I was like, ah, these are funny because he's pretending he doesn't know them. But no, these were literally new terms. Like, I kept forgetting that this was set in 1901. Guerrilla war. A new type of war that isn't fair. It's like... (laughs) like, Yeah. Yeah. And we even see other movies do that too like i love the african queen and the african queen has that as well with humphrey bogart again where it's like his character used to work in these failed little little wars between nothing countries but being fueled by bigger countries and he he couldn't understand like how does that work and it's like buddy yeah buddy it really 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 works a lot more like that now (laughs) whoopsies but uh i highly recommend the film i I say everyone if you have if you haven't watched it and you've just listened to this uh, boy oh boy with still so much we haven't sunk our teeth into but it's it's worth a a watch uh from my point of view bartek you recommend yeah really good film really great uh but it's old so you know it's old it's old and has that crunchy audio sound it's really not that old we like mr scarface is older than this no 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 but it looks old because it's old timey no no it, it doesn't old look timey, that old it's yeah. really good like i said if you can have a film that is you know i guess we can say intellectually as engaging as this and still has like genuine fuck yeah moments like that's a big recommendation film yeah. busters recommendations from you Go on, Paul. Recommendation from me. Yeah, I say it's a, it's a good film, I, especially going into it not knowing anything about the um, the, the case or really the war. And it could be as much a history lesson as just an interesting film about some kind of interesting characters, I guess, and the, the morality of what it all means behind that. I enjoyed it. And I would say... If you are going in cold, although you won't be, if you've listened to this podcast, you've just heard everything. But if you don't know much about it, do a little research before you watch it, because I think it would help. I think it would help to just just know, even if you know the ending, I don't think it would uh, squander the experience of watching the film necessarily. If you know, if you know uh, that they are found guilty, I don't think it would squander the experience. But particularly for British subjects, you've got to watch it because you need to be educated on things like this, because the Empire is not telling you about this stuff. So get it seen. Well, according to a lot of the trivia, apparently they did change a couple of facts about the case. Like, apparently there was more than three of them and the mm-hmm. kill count was much higher, so... And there was more 
things there was more parts of the trial but yeah. they make it into the tidy three for the sake of a yeah, movie and, and apparently, which is what yeah. you do right? and appa- apparently some of the characters that did appear in the film were actually part of the defendant yeah, team but yeah but, but, but obviously it's you know streamlined yeah. to tell a story and it's still the story about Breaker Morant yeah. so, and, so uh, even if you do do your research you know you'll be in for something different anyway you just said doo-doo mm. yeah but uh, yeah doo-doo I heard it too I heard we all it heard it <laughs> guys just don't tell it Ryan in editing cut it out no amplify it <laughs> Repli- duplicate re- it replace it with the words I told you to use in the last episode. I won't. I'm not doing that. I'm not your bitch. You edit it. Wait, that's right. You don't edit these episodes, so I'm in charge. Yeah, I have to travel an hour to get here. Man. You have your own software. You have a computer. I get an email. You don't do it. But no, that is all we have. Now, we need a, a recommendation for a film for next episode. Uh, but it can't be one of us, Ryan. It has it to be, be some other person. It has to be a chap. A lad or or, or, or... or a governor. Or a governor, Governor. Governor. Or a person Speaking from fish and chips. Or a bruv. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, bruv. No, no, tell us bruvs. There's no bruvs. No, we we, we have bruvs, okay? Leave <laughs> us... Uh, that's our way of talking to you. Um, Limeys, what have you got recommended for us? For Limeys, they went there. They went there. Because they've done an episode on Breaker Moran, they're now calling us Limeys at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we we do call you that. Give us a film, oppressors. Yes, yes. Oppressors. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Colonizers. Agreed. <laughs> you can call us. Go on, Paul. What are we going to send their way? So, speaking of governors, we uh we thought since we we had a uh, very Australian uh, centered film, we thought we'd give you a very British centered film with some very British actors in it, and uh, it's from two thousand and nine. Hopefully, you guys haven't seen it. I see Ryan hasn't got it rated on Metavox, so hopefully that means he hasn't watched it. Um, it's by Malcolm Venville, and it's Ray Winston's 44-inch chest. That's the movie? That's the movie. That's the movie. <laughs> Ray Winston's 44-inch it's not called. It's not called Ray Winston's 44-inch chest. Ray Winston is the actor in the film. <laughs> you said it like that was the title. You said, he's the director, and then you paused. Like, I wish it was called that. I, I can it go for a film with that. a good big cup size. I love, I love Ray Winston. He's one of those actors where it's just like, look, I'm gruff. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 he's that, a governor. He's, he's a proper bloke. He very much is, you know, we'll talk about it more next time, but Ray Witz is that guy who's like, I wanted to be... I, I, I wanted to be more, but I'm Ray Winston. I'm a guy. I'm a big dude. Yeah. I mean, he's a good actor, but... Uh, all right. Ray, Ray Winston. Packing 44, 44 inches. 44-inch <laughs> I really thought that was the name of the movie. <laughs> I was like, you know what? British movies do have absurd titles. Like, they can do that. Like, oh, there's a movie called Ray Winston's 44-inch chest, and it's not about, like, Ray Winston's not in it. <laughs> I don't think I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm gonna be able to call I mean, it a proper I'm name. Not, I've not heard of this, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Bartek, yeah. oh boy, do you think Ray Winston actually has a 44 inch chest? Do you think? Do you think you know him? You've seen him in stuff, probably. I don't know. Come on, I haven't you seen know, his chest. I, it's not. It's it's Ray Winston, isn't it? But I tell you, it's got a good cast. You have got Ian McShane, John very Hurt, good. Tom Wilkinson, Steve Delane, many others. Many, it's and, a very good film. And and the others, and the rest on Gilligan's Island. And the rest, yes. <laughs> but um, but uh, thank you, Film Busters, so much for coming thank on you. and talking to us today. Now, where thank can you, people gentlemen. find the podcast? Where can people find you guys? Where are you? Where are you? Where are they Go going? on, this is, you can do this one, Ben. 
Oh, I'm no good at this one. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms. You just search for Film Busters, Spotify, CastBox, Apple, whatever you want. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's where you get the most updates from us. Uh, Film Busters Pod or our individual accounts. I'm Film Bust at Film Busters Ben, and you're at Film Busters Paul. Correct. You Sorry, did. I spoke for you. You should have said your own Twitter handle. <laughs> I was about to. Well, he can say the my third apology. guy's Twitter It's because you said, go on, Ben. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm just running the show now. You could, you could say my name. I don't mind. Say my name. Say my name. You say can my find, name. yeah, you guys are all over the shop. You're on all the podcast hosting sites. You're on YouTube. You're Film Busters. You're, your individual, like, social medias. You have your, your Film Buster thing in there. And a cute little, little illustration that when I see it as a small little thumbnail from afar, I'm like, which one's this? Like, yes, I keep wanting to see, <laughs> I keep wanting to see, like, the, the visual to be like, that's Ben. But then I'll be like, oh, no, I have to read the name next to the little <laughs> illustration. <laughs> We don't have that. Like, which one of us is the hairy sausage? Oh, oh, Bartek. Of course. Yeah, Ray Winstone yeah, well, was oh. Growl Tiger in Cats. That's why they recommended it to him. Oh, God, he was. <laughs> yes, that's the connection. Did he have 44-inch whiskers? He was teamed up with Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> he was teamed up with Idris Elba. Oh, what I can't wait to watch Ray Winston's 44-inch <laughs> chest. Cannot Man. wait to hear what you you boys make of it. I will, look, look, will you be upset if we come in and are really disappointed that it isn't cold, Ray Winston's 44-inch chest? Like, that's our first critique. It's like, it should have been cold. Should, should we call the yeah. title of the episode? Oh, no. We don't want to confuse Ray Winston fans. They're going to be looking for the star of Noah, Darren Aronofsky's Noah, where he was the villain. Oh, I've seen yeah. that. He was the gruff guy who's like, I want to be on that fucking boat. God doesn't deserve to punish me. I deserve to punish him. That's that's a what a mil, what a movie. Darren Aronofsky. What, bear, a, what a the berries. The berries. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but you have. There's, <laughs> but there's Catholic. berries. There's berries. But we can be found on social media as well: Facebook, Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. We post on there. You can hit us up and recommend movies to us on there, or at our email address, which is. Which is spitandpolished at gmail.com. This will all be in the description of this episode. So you can click on there, listen to us on whatever podcast hosting site allows it, rate and review all of the stuff that we demand of you, okay? We demand it. You have to follow our orders or else. Oh, I'm just requesting or else it. I'm on execution. Uh, all executions <laughs> happen to you. But uh, thank you all so much for joining us and for all of you people out there listening. Remember. What do you mean, you people? You oh, fuck. Remember to be kind to each other. Yeah, you people. Or else. <laughs> you people, you.